Today on In the Wild, we're looking at the mighty lioness and how she cares for her young. The lioness actually gives birth away from the pride and will keep her cubs away from the pride for up to eight weeks. The cubs don't even open their eyes until day three up to day 11. Then a time of communal nursing begins. The lioness will not only nurse their own cubs, but the other cubs in the community. That begins a process by which they're taught to hunt. A lioness is still nursing her cubs at age three months. At the same time they're nursing, they're also learning how to hunt. As they go out to hunt, the lioness will lead their young three-month-year-old cub up to a kill and teach them how to eat even at that stage. Now, 40 to 80% of young cubs will die within the first year from either starvation or coalition invaders. So the lioness needs to protect her cub, teaching it how to hunt, how to provide for itself, and stay away from these invaders. Now, these invaders are actually male lions who have lost a pride. They come into a new pride, and first thing they do is kill off all the male lions. Then they kill off all the cubs, so they can take the young lionesses to make their own pride. So these lionesses know that if they're going to prepare their young children for the road ahead, they've got to prepare them to be able to get out of the nest by age two or three, by learning how to hunt and learning how to protect themselves. Now God turns to Job and says, Job, I want you to look at how the lioness cares for and takes care of her young. There's a lesson in there about how a lioness cares for their cubs that I want you to learn about how I care for you because I made you as well. So in our new series, In the Wild, we're looking at all kinds of lessons God wants us to learn in the animal kingdom. And the theme of the book of Job that we're going to study for the next few weeks together is that God, he knows more than you can see. We think we see the whole picture, therefore we know what's going on. But God's going to say, no, 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 I know more than you can see. But God also is going to tell Job, Job, I actually love more than you think. When you look at your circumstances, when you look at what's happening or not happening, you might think I don't love you because I allowed X, Y, or Z to happen. But I want you to know that I know more than you see and I love more than you think. And then he's going to use the animal kingdom And he's going to sort of go on a tour through the zoo with Job to let him see different aspects of different animals and what it communicates about the heart of God. But before we get to his day in the wild, we find in our opening encounter Job having the worst day of his life. And one of the themes of the book of Job is that your worst day ever will not be solved with a day in court. Or you argue whether or not God is being fair to you or not being fair to you. And there's something natural in us when you're going through your worst day, worst decade, worst year of your life to say, if I could just get God in a court of law, I could prove he's unfair, I could prove he's wrong, I could prove he's being mean to me. But your worst day ever is not going to be solved with a day in court. Have you ever had one of those days or weeks or months that it's just an onslaught of one thing after another? Now, all of our worst days are going to be different, right? And don't try and compare your worst day to somebody else's worst day because somebody's always got a worse one or different one. But your worst day is your worst day. And it was just overwhelming, whatever happened. Whether it was going through a divorce, having a child cut off contact with you, not being able to see your grandkids again, getting your first business that didn't get off the ground and came crashing down with your hopes and dreams. 
But I'm talking about one of those time-compressed times. It just seems like an onslaught, one thing after another. We've certainly had worse days, but we had one of our worst days over this Christmas break. Without all of our systems in place, it was just overwhelming, one thing after another, this whole day long. You know, my son Quinn, who I told you how much we love and what a joy he is to us, boy, this was one of those days that all the consequences of his condition just came bearing down on us. He's got a zip-up pajamas in the back so he doesn't, because he's not potty trained still at 10, so he doesn't spread poo on our house. But he's had acid reflux for the last month, so he's throwing up on our floor seven to nine times a day, which is just constantly causing frustration and cleaning and running around and it's maddening. Well, he's downstairs in this basement. We have the locks on all the inside doors and exterior doors. I've got inter- internal cameras in my house so I can watch him from our phone while we're sitting in our living room. And we hear crash downstairs. And we go downstairs and he shoved the TV over as he's jumped off the top of it. He's happy as can be. The TV smashed down. And so I go down. I'm trying to pick that up. And then as I'm doing that, he runs over and takes a, a whole toy box and throws that down. And all the toys go scattering everywhere. He's throwing acid reflux three times, toys everywhere. And as I just go over to fix that, just as that's happening, another thing he pushes over and knocks down. I'm like, Beth, could you take him? So she's about to grab me, runs upstairs, and I'm grabbing a screw, and I'm really screwing all of the toy boxes and shelving directly into the wall itself. And I just can't keep up. The quicker I'm fixing it, the quicker he's destroying it. Jesse runs upstairs. I hear my wife yell, I need help up here. And though we have interior locks on all our doors, the door wasn't quite closed. So he pushed his way into the laundry room, dumped all the tide all over the entire floor, and then took out all the bleach and dumped it all over our clothes and all over the floor. Now we're trying to clean that out while again spitting onto the floor. We get him ready for bed, put him in bed, and I'm just flooded. I'm flooded with anger. I'm flooded with frustration. I'm flooded with I just can't keep up. So my wife and I get him put to bed, and we're sitting down on the couch together. And she's like, let's just watch some TV. I'm like, I, th- I think I need to pray before we watch TV. And I'm just angry. I'm holding her hand, and I said, you know, I'm just... I'm just so angry. I'm so overwhelmed. It just, it just destroys everything. And I love him. It just destroys everything. And I was praying this prayer that's in the Bible. It's like, God, I don't even know how to pray. That's how this prayer goes. But I ask that you would just intercede and pray the words I need to say on my own behalf. And in our silence in our house, at that very moment as we're praying, God, give us the words we need. I'm holding my wife's hand. We hear from downstairs, holy ship! But he didn't say ship. That was my older son watching a Netflix show. And apparently there's a plot twist he didn't see coming. And my wife and I are sitting there, holy ship! And her hand starts jiggling because she's laughing. And I start laughing. And she starts giggling like, you know, a schoolgirl, and she's like, she can't stop. And now I can't stop laughing, and we are both laughing so hard. We're like, you know what? Because I'm not particularly good at swearing. Some people are good at it. I'm not particularly good at it. Uh, I grew up in a house that did it. I thought, you know what, God? That, that is exactly how this feels. <laughs> that is exactly how it feels. And it was just like God speaking into just this onslaught of one thing after another. We told my son the story the next day and just had a great family laugh how God used his otherwise, please don't swear in our house, uh, speech to be God speaking to us. So I want to show you a little bit how Job, how God works in the midst of his worst day ever. Now his worst day is pretty bad. He's living in the land of, of us. 
And sometime in your life, you're going to spend some time in us. Us is a place where things don't go the way you hoped and the way you think, think they should. And the book of Job opens up by saying, and there was a day. And it was a day like any other day for Job. Living in us, and he gets an onslaught of one thing after another. A servant comes running up to him. And the servant comes and says, Sabian raiders have come. And they have come and they have killed and slaughtered all of your employees. Now, Job is very, very wealthy, very, very successful. Everything in his life, relationally, career-wise, everything's going well. And in one moment, all of his employees have been gathered together for this sort of employee appreciation moment. And these raiders from a foreign country come in and slaughter and kill all of his employees. And as he's coping with what does this mean and how do I tell their family and what, what is, what's my next step? As he was still talking, another man comes and runs up and says, Hey, we'd gathered all the flock together. This is his assets. This is his 401k. This is his bank accounts. These are all his sheep and all his flock. And we were gathering them out. It was the middle of a storm. We tried to get them away. And, and fire from heaven, which is the word they use for lightning, lightning comes and strikes and starts a fire. And the fire was so big and what caught on fire, it pretty much burned your sheep and it burned your assets. And there's like, Nothing left except me. I'm the only one that's left. And Job in a moment suddenly is in financial ruin. As he was still speaking, another servant comes running up and says, Oh, Job, there was a big party at your oldest son's house, and all your sons and daughters were gathered together for this big sort of brother-sister party, and a wind came through with this storm going on, and it knocked the walls down, and the roof came crashing down and killed all your sons and daughters. And Job falls to his knees. One onslaught after another. And what's amazing about his response is he doesn't accuse God of wrongdoing. In all of this, he doesn't accuse God of wrongdoing. He says, naked I came into this world. Everything I have was given to me from God. And if he wants to take it back, I guess he can. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, he doesn't accuse God of wrongdoing. Then another onslaught comes of a health crisis in his life. Now it's affecting him very much personally. If you've been in pain, you know how pain distorts everything. He's got these giant boils all over his body, so much such, so much so he's got to take a piece of pottery and just scrape the pus off. That's how painful and how disgusting he is. He can't find any position to lie or move because everything hurts. As he's laying there sort of contemplating, how did I get here? This is the worst day, the worst month, the worst decade ever. His wife, who's been caring for him now for seemingly weeks or months, she's overwhelmed. And she says, you know what, why do you hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, honey. Um, that's not particularly helpful. But keep in mind, before we're too hard on his wife, if you've cared for somebody who's been in pain long term, whether it's a family member a friend, you know that pain distorts that person you cared about, whether it's self-pity or anger or critical spirit. If you're carrying somebody in pain, it affects you as well, doesn't it? 
And yet, even here it says that Job, he still won't curse God, but he does curse the day he was born. I just wish I'd never been born to go through this kind of pain. And Job here in his worst day ever is going to have to wrestle with, when you have your worst day, your worst decade, when you spend time in the land of us, how will you move forward? Is it even possible to believe in a God who knows everything and cares about you when you're faced with these circumstances? I heard an interview recently with Delilah. Delilah is a, one of the most popular radio hosts in the evening. She's got 8 million listeners. She's got 13 kids, 10 of which are adopted. She's a person of faith. She's a Christian. She believes in the Bible. Yet she recently, in the last couple of years, had a tragedy. She spent some time in the land of Uz. And her time in Uz is that one of her sons, Jake, committed suicide. And her world, whole world came crashing down. And she did several interviews and wrote a book about how she, at her worst day ever, was able to find a God who still loved her and cared for her in the midst of just unbelievable pain. I'd like you to hear her story. Because spending some time in the wild is one of the things that helped her find a God in the midst of tragedy. Let's watch. You're listening to the Lila. She's the iconic radio host with a smooth voice. Eight million listeners tune in to hear each week. Thank you for sharing your love, your story with us. Thank you for listening to the Delilah Show. She's our on-air confidant, but Delilah also knows firsthand about heartache and loss. Last October, her beloved son, Zach, took his own life. Delilah took a rare break from her show and focused on a new mission with her new book, One Heart at a Time. Well, bless you for being so open. And I know after his passing, you continued writing your book. Well, I couldn't at first. I couldn't write. I couldn't talk about it. And the publishers uh, talked to my sisters, and she said, I'll help. You know, I'll step in and help. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Nobody's telling Zach's story but me. And that kind of gave me the, the energy because I do want parents to know we need to talk about teenage suicide. We need to start having open conversations as painful as they are. Because it's epidemic. Is there something that you would like to say to those that lifted you up in prayer? I would not be standing if it weren't for the prayers of my friends, my family, and my listeners. Nights are the worst. You know, I finish the show, and that's when it hits. Because that was our time together. My son was a night owl. And every night, most every night, so many listeners sent the most beautiful thoughts and prayers and shared their own stories of loss and grief and what helped them get through. And it's been hard, but I am I can still say I'm the most blessed woman I know. When she is not on the air counseling and comforting her listeners, Delilah, a mother of 13, including 10 adopted children, lives and works on a farm just outside Seattle. It's her sanctuary. That's where I feel closest to God. Well, if you've spent some time in Uz, whatever flavor or whatever area it's come, you're going to think you need a day in court. In fact, the next 35 chapters of Job is about Job and his friends debating whether God's being fair. And his friends saying, Job, if you've got problems in your life, it's because God is punishing you. The universe is karma, and there's a direct correlation between what you've done and the bad things happening. Job is actually saying, no, karma is not true. The Bible is very strongly against karma, by the way. And Job really takes that. It was called the doctrine of, uh, of retribution in those days. 
And Job's like, no, there is no correlation. The way I was living when things were going well and the way I was living when things were going bad, it's not about what I've done. But Job does have this sense that if I could just have a, a day in court with God and I could present my case, I would prove I didn't do anything to deserve this and I would also prove that God is unfair in how he's treating me. I want to contend with the Lord, he says. Well, God gives him exactly that opportunity. In fact, in his day in court, Job thinks he's going to be the hunter. I'm going to hunt God down, and I'm going to tell him the facts, and I'm going to be a prosecuting attorney as to what he's done and why it's inappropriate. But God turns the table on him and says, Job, in order to prosecute me, you're presuming you know more than I know. And you don't. So let's have your day in court. But before you put me in the dock, how about I put you in the dock? And here's what God says to him in chapter 40. Shall you who think you know everything, contend with God Almighty? Shall the one who contends or fights or wants to put me in the docket contend with the Almighty? Are you going to correct me as if you know better than me? He who rebukes God? I'll tell you what, I'm going to ask you some questions first, and if you can answer those questions, then I'll answer yours. So prepare yourself like a man, step into the witness stand, and I've got a conversation to have with you. And Job steps in to his day in court. And God says, here come the questions. Job, do you know where snow comes from? No. Do you know how lightning is formed in the heavens? No. How about the constellations? Do you know who named the constellations and why the stars are in the formations they're in? No. Do you know that there's fissures in the bottom of the ocean that the water comes out of? No. Do you know where light comes from and darkness and how to separate the two? And God asked a series of a hundred questions in the book of Job. With each one, Job went from being on the attack to realizing, wow, there's so much I don't know. And Job begins to realize this day in court is not going the way I hoped. Because I presumed I knew better than God to tell him how to run life. And God's showing me I don't know a lot about most of life. But this is a journey. If you're going to ever wrestle with some tragedy in your life, you're going to have to wrestle with whether or not the day in court is really going to get you what you need. Because most of us think if we had a day in court, we could finally get what we need. I remember I was in my 20s, and I had my first real crisis of faith. I was angry at God. I was mad because of circumstances he was doing and not doing. I remember walking up the stairs to top my apartment building in Chicago. It was about the only place I could be quiet or be alone in, in the whole city. I remember sitting up on the top of this apartment building and just... Sometimes yelling at God, sometimes crying, sometimes building my case, my thesis, legal thesis as to why it's so inappropriate he'd allowed these lions to ambush me in life. And one day as I was sitting there just angry with God in the top of this apartment building, I remember thinking to myself, what if God could tell me why he's doing what he's doing? What if he handed me a legal <coughs> pad, uh, a legal treatise on chat, here's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm letting you go through this difficulty so that you'll develop those character qualities so that you will be prepared to be the kind of father you'll be 10 years from now. And, and I'm, I'm trying to grow your marriage to lean on each other to prepare you for what's coming next. And what if God gave me a 200-page explanation as to why everything that was happening was not meaningless but was going to have a purpose? 25 years later, I can see a lot of that, actually. But I realize in that moment... My day in court of proving God that what he was doing was unfair wasn't meeting my needs. 
I didn't need a day in court. Because even if he could give me a treaty that would answer all my questions, I still had different needs. I needed comfort because I was grieving my circumstances. Unrelated to the explanation. I needed wisdom to navigate these challenges, even if they were going to have a future purpose. I needed courage to face the challenges. The day in court wasn't going to solve what I really needed. Courage, wisdom, comfort, and help. It was in that moment that I gave up my need for a day in court that I began a journey of deepening my faith and finding hope rather than despair, joy rather than self-pity. And Job finds the same thing. After all these different questions that he can't answer, God says, all right, then we're ready to talk. It's time not for a day in court, but for a day in the wild. Job, join me. And he takes Job, and the first, one of the first animals he introduces him to is the lion. He says, let's talk about the lion and the lionesses. There's some things that you can learn here, just a few short verses, that will help you in your circumstances. Come see. Here's what he says. Job, can you hunt the prey for the lion? Can you provide for lions? No. How would one hunt for prey or teach the lions to be able to feed themselves in the world? Or do you know how to satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Have you ever seen them back there in the cave, growling and crouching, lying and, and lurk, ready to eat? When a, when a lion is hungry, it's a priority. How do they get fed? How do they get provided for? Do you know how to take care of that when they're in the lairs waiting in wait? No, I don't. Who provides food for the raven? Have you ever listened to those little raven crying out, chirping? They're crying out to me to be provided for. They know that at the core of the universe is God who knows their needs, loves them, and wants to provide for them. When its young ones cry to God and they wander about, wonder for about lack of food. I think there's three things that if we dig into these we can learn here. Number one, we need to remember that in a world of dog-eat-dog violence and prey and animals devouring each other, God says in the middle of all of that, remember that love can coexist with chaos. In the chaos of predators needing to eat and prowl and hunt, look at that mother lion and look at that father lion. I have put in that mother and father lion an instinct They so love and care for their cubs that they teach them how to hunt. And they teach them how to provide for themselves. I place that there. And you may not be able to see me in the midst of your worst day ever, but I want you to look at the lion, and I want you to see that in the middle of the chaos of the animal kingdom, I have placed love. A mother's love and a father's love, caring for the young. In the same way, I want you to know, You may not fully understand the chaos and carnage of what's happened and the chaos around you, but don't mistake that love, my love for you, can't coexist in that chaos. I'm still caring for you. I'm still providing for you. I'm still equipping you to handle the the tragedy that's occurred to you. A Christmas Eve service, we had a moment like that. If you were here for one of our nine services, one of the songs we did that evening was uh, Let It Be by the Beatles. A woman who'd lost her husband in October, unforeseen, attended one of our services. And she said, that was the most powerful moment for me. I just felt so lost, so chaotic, having lost my husband. And in that moment, in times of trouble, 
the words came to me, let it be, to think that those are the words that Mary said to Gabriel. I felt like God was saying it to me during the service. I'm still with you. I want to comfort you in your grief. In your times of trouble, I'm still here. It's feeling God's presence. Even though you can't explain all the circumstances, he's saying love can coexist with the chaos. In fact, if you were here at our ninth service, when Albert came and sang O Holy Night, which you may not know is right before he sang that ninth time, he got news that his niece had been shot. And he still got up and sang one final time, O Holy Night, declaring the God who came and visited in us even in the middle of his own tragedy. So remember, God says from the lion, love can coexist with chaos. But I also want you to remember that, that God meets your needs in direct and indirect ways. If God needs to feed a lion, you know what he could do? He could grab a steak from heaven and throw it down. He could do that. If God wanted to feed the little chirping birds, he could take a worm. He could reach down with his hand and put the worm directly in the mouth of the bird. He could do that directly. He says, Job, I want you to know that I often work indirectly. I indirectly provide for those lions in the lair through their mother and father. And the love and the care and the concern goes indirectly through them. When those young babies are crying out to me for their food being met, I use their mothers to provide for them to get them food. And Job, I want you to know the same thing is true in your life. There's sometimes ways you see direct correlation between what you're doing and the blessings in your life. There's other times you don't. I'm working in indirect ways. You're not going to feel my comfort directly. Like Delilah said, you're going to feel it from a friend who said, I've been through the grief of losing someone. The shared grief of a struggle of both knowing someone who's been through suicide or both going through depression. It's God's going to indirectly work through your life just like he does with the food chain, right? He says, Job, have you ever thought about the food chain? Let's talk about something complicated. Job, if you're going to provide for all the animals, how would you do it? Because I figured it out. Think about how complicated the food chain is of every animal having something they can provide for and care for and be able to provide for all their needs. Now, that's complicated. And God says, Job, I have found a way to organize the universe to meet the needs of my creation directly and indirectly because I care for my creation. I love my creation. I take care of my creation. And you may not be able to see it directly, my care, but I want you to know that under it all, underneath what you perceive right now, is a God who loves and cares. I know and watch the lions. I watch the lionesses. I see the birds. I hear their cries to me for food. But also, he says, Job, I want you to remember to filter your circumstances through God's heart and not vice versa. Meaning, if you really knew that God knew you and loved you, then you would say, I want to filter my circumstances through that. All right, I don't like these circumstances. I don't wish these circumstances. I wouldn't wish these are my worst enemy. And if you filter God's heart through your circumstances, you're like, well, then God must be evil, and God must be against me, and God must not care. But if instead you say, no, I'm going to presume that God does care, and he does know then I'm going to filter my circumstances through God's heart and say, whatever is going on, I don't know exactly what it is, I still have hope He is with me. I am still not alone. I still have a source of comfort. I still can know, even though I don't know how He's going to do it, that He can work all things together for good. If I learn how to remember to filter my circumstances through the heart of God. 
And that's why he says, I want you to look at the mother bird, and I want you to look at the, the raven. I want you to see. Like he goes on in Job, there's this passage that talks about how God is so loving, he reigns upon his creation. And he doesn't just provide rain for religious people who agree with him. He provides rain on all of the earth, to the atheists, to the agnostics, to the religious, to the irreligious. God is so generous and loving, he is generous to all of his creation. He said, if you see that, how generous I am with the rain, how generous I am with the instincts I put into the animal kingdom, then you'll be able to say, okay, well, whatever's going on in my life, he seems kind of stingy with me right now, but I'm going to filter that through. As I look at the world, I see that God is a God who reigns provision, and he reigns literal rain, and he reigns mercy, and he reigns instincts and provision. He reigns his courage down. Jesus picks up on this idea in one of his Sermon on the Mount when he said, I want you to be like your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on evil people. He loves evil people. He provides and rains on evil people as well as on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, this is coming against this karma idea that God only is good to the good people and bad to the bad people. See, sometimes good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people because God is generous to all. And there are times in a broken world that we live in that bad things are going to happen and you're not going to understand them as Job is experiencing. I remember right before our Christmas Eve service, we had the largest funeral we've ever had here. 800 and 900 people showed up for Tad Lawrence's funeral. 809, filled this room, filled the atrium, filled every room in this place. And I'd interviewed Tad up on the stage a few months earlier because he had pancreatic cancer. And people who do not believe the way Tad believes, they don't have the same faith system that Tad did, they came to hear him tell the story. And one thing that struck me back in October is Tad shared how he felt like God was calling him. If God wasn't going to heal him, his preference... His second preference was that he could demonstrate God's heart through his cancer. What does a person with cancer look like who's getting better and better all the time? Who's providing joy? And there was something so drawing about his story. As I sat down after this frustrating moment with Quinn, I remember just saying, God, remind me how you're working in direct and indirect ways. I spent the last three years researching any conceivable short, medium, and long-term option for Quinn, and I still continue to do that, but I have spent over 200 hours researching and taking notes, looking tri-county, tri-state areas for how to get the kind of infrastructure I need to, to bring out his very best. And came up very, very short. Everybody's always got ideas, and by the time I pursue them, they all fall apart. They're just not what he really needs. But man, last year, in the midst of all my hustle and bustle and running around, we had an autism school that doesn't require potty training. That was a big problem. Opened seven minutes from our house. So Quinn just started. He's in week three of his new school. I'm like, boy, God, I thought you were going to work directly through all my research. And I was wearing myself out trying to find it. And I don't know if this will be a long-term solution, but so far it's much better than anything I had. God, thank you for providing for me I doubted you cared. I doubted I was sort of getting into the wind up the universe on this one. But you do. And God, you gave me a mind that is uniquely creative and administrative in my ability to sort of weigh these things and find out how to juggle this unique mix of infrastructure. God, thank you for the mind you've given me. 
And several people at the church have said, Chad, how can we help? We've got special needs kids. Have we been where you've been? How can we help? And several have stepped in and helped and processed that. And I have felt the love of God through people indirectly. I have felt the love of God directly through my son swearing in the basement. I, I have felt the indirect love of God from providing a school. And there's only really one in all of Cincinnati that offers this thing that Quinn needs. It just opened. And it filled me not with self-pity and hopelessness, but with a gratefulness that, that God works even in the midst of the challenges, even the ongoing challenges that aren't going to be solved at any time. And that's why as we study this book for the next few weeks, I really want you to wrestle with this idea. And it takes time to wrestle with it, that your worst day ever isn't going to be answered with a day in court, but rather a day in the wild. That God wants you to study and find his heart in the midst of chaos. And if you do that, there's going to be a big question you're going to have to wrestle with. And this is a hard one to make. There's going to be a moment, like I had in the apartment building, that you're going to have to decide, am I going to keep my fist in the air or will I put my hand over my mouth? See, when I have my fist in the air, I presume I know better than God. I presume I know better than Him how life should run. I know what things are good. I know how things should happen. And God says, you're still in your day in court mode. I need to take your fist out of the air and put your hand over your mouth and say, maybe I don't know as much as I think I know, and maybe you love me more than I think. And that's what Job has to do before he has this encounter with God at the end of the book. Here's what it says in the passage. Job answered the Lord and said, what shall I answer you? I can't answer any of those questions. I'll lay my hand over my mouth once I have spoken, but I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to presume I know twice I will proceed no further. Um, I can't answer any of this question. Nope. Just rain down on me, God. That legal treatise explaining how all that worked, that didn't help. Just rain down your comfort because I'm grieving the loss of my kids. God, just rain down on me like you do the just and the unjust. We just rain down on me what I need. I need wisdom. God, rain down hope. I need some hope because I'm feeling pretty hopeless. Will you rain down courage and fortitude? Because this isn't going to be over for a while. Maybe as you're going through your journey of your time in us, you need some resources. To figure, how do I get to a place I can believe that God knows more than I see and loves more than I think? One book I read this uh, last couple months in prep for the series is by Timothy Keller. It's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It covers pain and suffering from a philosophical standpoint in a very strong way that's intellectually uh, savvy and strong. But every chapter ends with a real story of a, of a real person who had to wrestle with stillborn babies or miscarriages or the loss of a son or suicide and how they personally did it. Because when you see somebody who's gone through their worst day ever and they've wrestled with the day in court not helping and they begin to find a God who cares for the, the animal kingdom but also cares for them, you say, how did you get there? Because I'm not there yet. One of my best friends got in there. He's my best friend. He was my best friend at my wedding. He's my best friend growing up. He is one of the most incredible sources of joy I know. He is somebody who knows how to say to God, rain down on me all the time. His Facebook pages are filled with joy. Everybody from high school and college is just always coming to hear from him. His exact age of me, we're both born on May 21st, 1973, but he's 15 minutes older than me, as he always reminds me. But at age 22, 23, he was doing some carpentry work, and he fell 
off the stand and his hammer severed his spinal cord. Fifteen years later, he continues to be a source of joy for those who are going through paraplegia, those who've had terrible accidents. He continues to just be an incredible source of joy. And just recently, he wanted to post his story about how he made the journey to that. I want to share that with you. Here's somebody who knows how God can rain down joy into his life. After my spine was severed, I went to rehab, a hospital that focused on paraplegia. They told me that I would be there for approximately three months because that's the average stay for patients. I remember telling my physical therapist, I'll be here a month. My therapist looked at me with skepticism and said, most of the patients don't recover that fast or make progress that fast. I said, I'm not most patients. See, the Bible says very clearly and bluntly, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I read that more once growing up in church, probably way easier said than done. I was in my room in the hospital watching TV when I heard these words, Faintly in my mind, in all things give thanks. Like somebody had just whispered them in my ear. Clear enough, I heard them over the volume of the television that was in my mind, not out loud. I muted the television, I said out loud, Excuse me, what was that? I knew it was God reminding me. See, I had formed a semi separation from Him somewhere in the hospital. I didn't blame Him, but I was disappointed in Him that He'd allowed me to be permanently injured. I felt like He owed me some kind of protection, I hadn't gotten it. So I was angry. I just didn't know how angry I was until I heard the words, in all things give thanks. I knew it was God. And I felt a tone of sarcasm begin to grip my heart and mind. Give you thanks? You want me to give you thanks? Are you serious? You want me to be thankful for being paralyzed? You've got to be out of your mind. I'm not happy about this. I won't give you thanks for this. I never will. With that, I unmuted the television, turned up the volume a little bit louder than before, just in case God tried to interrupt my viewing again. He didn't. The next night and the next night, exactly at 8 p.m. on the dot, I heard the faint whisper in my mind, almost as clear as a bell, ring in the room, and all things give thanks. I clicked the television off in sincere anger. I began talking out loud to God, who was clearly on my last nerve. I wasn't yelling at him, but talking to him as you might talk to a telemarketer who called you when you just sat down for dinner. What is wrong with you, God? I told you I'm not going to do that. You want me to be thankful for this? Seriously? No. I won't do it. I'll never do it. Do not ask again. I feel like I've done nothing but try to serve you, and this is what I get in return. Why don't you just leave me alone? I don't want anything from you ever. And with these words, God left me alone. I returned home to Illinois. I was living at my parents' home and staying in their home because they had a bathroom that was wheelchair accessible. I'd been out with some friends the night before, playing cards and basically being a normal guy and having normal fun with friends. I drove home with the sunroof open, enjoying the summer air, and I felt great. I felt like life was going to get back to normal. My parents had family pictures all over the walls, and I was in most of them. Standing, of course. I realized all of them, all the things I had done with my normal working body. And that's when I felt that reminder come back to me again. A familiar voice, like a gentle whisper in my mind. I rolled out my eyes with a sigh. Lord, you don't fight fair. Here I was having a great night, now you spoil my evening. I wanted to obey him, but I just didn't know how I could. I simply could not give him thanks for this condition. There was no way. I lay there in silence, wondering how to reply to him. He never said anything else. He just patiently waited for my answer. 
I finally gave in. I said, all right, you win. You want me to give thanks? All right. I looked at the pictures on the walls and I realized I had lived a great life. I began to tell him thanks for those things. Thank you, God, you allowed me to see the world. Thank you, you allowed me to run, to play sports, do all kinds of things that some people only dream of. And after I thought I'd thanked him for everything I could honestly thank him for, I realized I need to thank him for one more thing. Tears were streaming down my face as I said, Thank you for not letting me die. Thank you that I can still feed myself, dress myself, and still use my hands. And thank you that my injury wasn't worse. And finally, I asked through tears, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want to do with my life? I can't be a carpenter anymore. I don't know how to do anything else. How can you use half a man? I heard God very calmly whisper to me, you don't worry about that. You be ready, and I will show you in time. Just be ready. I remember I slept better that night than I had in years. A weight had been lifted off my shoulders from being obedient and giving thanks. I know I couldn't do that in the beginning, but I wonder how different things would have been if I had. And I've watched my friend Jim for the last 15 years. He has continued to bring joy and help and hope to people in the darkest of circumstances. He has continued to say, God rained hope into my life where I was hopeless. God rained love into my life where I felt like he'd abandoned me. God, God rained grace into my life. And then he takes that rain that God's given him and goes and extends it to other people. People who believe the way he does, not those who don't. Because when you experience the generosity of God, when you experience the care of God, when you begin to start to filter your circumstances through a loving God's heart, hope is renewed again. Love is renewed again. You get a chance to not get stuck in that cul-de-sac of pity and that cul-de-sac of hopelessness. But instead, you can pray this prayer. God, I need more of your love. Rain down on me. Well, I hope 2019 will be a time that God can rain down on you. So let me pray for us and just ask that God would do that. And maybe you want to just close your eyes with me if you want. And maybe you just want to say those words in your own heart to God. God, let it rain. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I'm angry maybe. Let it rain. Meet my needs. Or maybe this has been a time you're not in the land of us. And God, let it rain joy. Let it rain uh, peace. Let it rain success on each one of us as we look to 2019. For those of us who need wisdom, Father, rain down wisdom. For those of us who need to remind, rem- be remembered that we are loved for who we are, rain down love. For those of us who need courage to face some challenges, exciting challenges, rain down courage, Father. And teach us how to share our story. Our, our stories of mountains and our stories of valleys with the people around us, that we would experience a God who loves us and walks through this life with us. We reject the doctrine of karma. We reject the idea that everything that's happening to us is because something we've done wrong. And we ask, Father, that you would guide us through our circumstances. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this series also is being taught by the children's ministry and the student ministry. We do that once a year. So if you want to talk about lions with your kids uh, as you go out today, just know they've also been studying this passage. And come next week as we look at the goat and what we can learn from the goat. Thanks.